Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. Can we agree with the statement, evil exists? How many would agree with that statement? We don't have to look far. This side of heaven, not everything's going to be happy. Not everything's going to be good. Not everything is going to be beautiful. That's why today we're going to ask a question. How did the world get so messed up? Didn't used to be that way. It's not how it started. How many would agree the world is messed up? If you're new to Celebrate, we want to say welcome home. We're in a series called Why I Believe What I Believe. I am so, so, so grateful for Pastor Keith and the continuous time and work he puts into putting the messages together and all the teaching he does, not only on the weekends, but also through the classes, helping us understand what God's Word says, how we're to believe, what we're to believe. And so today, I'm incredibly humbled that he's asking me to open up God's Word. If you have your Bibles, would you open up to James chapter 4? James chapter 4. Now, the answer to the question, how did the world get so messed up? The answer is not the government. It's not economics. It's not politics. But it is one word. It's a word that people don't want to talk about. But we have to. The word is sin. Sin against God. And the reality is, when we look in our lives we understand that with sin comes evil. Pastor Keith has been sharing throughout this whole series a phrase, belief determines behavior. Would you say that with me? Belief determines behavior. And everything that you and I do, whatever our behavior is, is because of why we believe something. So today, let's talk about what is it we should believe about sin. To use an illustration, I'm gonna use this bullseye. Now, if you're a shooter or a marksman or ever done archery, this is familiar to you. There's, on the point of this target, there's a bullseye. It is the center point right there. The definition of sin is this definition. Any attitude or action against God. That's the definition of sin. Any attitude or action against God. This center point right here is God's will. It's God's word. It's it's God's design for you and I. That is God. Everything outside that center circle is sin. So, with that definition, let me ask you this question. Is right here, is this sin? If the center point is where God is, is this sin where I'm at? Yes, it is. Is this sin? Is this sin? How about here? How about here? How about here? Yes. Anything outside the center of God's will is an attitude or action against God, and it is sin. Where did it start? Well, it started with the very first couple. Let's blame them. Adam and Eve in the garden. Here's what Romans 5 says. Sin came into the world because of what one man did, and with sin came death. But the reality is, we're all to blame. 
I've not met one person who is without sin. In fact, Ecclesiastes 7 says this, there's not a single person in all the world who is always good and never sins. I blow it, you blow it, we all blow it. There are actually three words that the Bible uses when it talks about evil. Sin, transgressions, iniquities. Let's just understand what those three words mean. Sin is actually an English word. It's used as a definition of an archer shooting at a target, which says anything that misses the center point. Anything that misses the center is sin. So, for example, if you were an archer and you shot and it, it, it fell short, you were trying to hit it, but it fell short, okay? That is what the Bible uses as a definition. In fact, Romans 3 says it this way, for all have sinned and fallen what? Short of the glory of God. Now, transgression is a different one. Transgression is when you willingly make a decision not to hit the target. I willfully choose to shoot somewhere other than the target. I'm very intentional on that. So let's say that you're driving and the speed limit says 60 miles an hour and you intentionally drive 80. You knew what you're doing. That's intentional. That is a transgression. Iniquity is a condition of the heart. It's an attitude. It's an all-inclusive human thing. Here's what it says in Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've each turned onto our own way. Sin, transgression, iniquity. All part of evil caused by us, our sin. So today we're going to look at three questions. Why do we sin? Why? Why? Number two, what are the results of our sin? And number three, what should our response be to our sin? How many of you are ready to learn from God's word today? Let's tell that to God. Well, Father, we come and you know us better than anyone. Your word says that we're made in your image, and yet, Father God, we fall so short of that. God, I ask today, would you examine my heart, our hearts? Would you show us, as your word says, any wicked way in us, any deceitful way, any way that we have tried to negotiate? God, we understand what the center of the bullseye is. God, help us to be what you've called us to be. We love you. We thank you in advance for what your word is going to teach us and all God's people said. So why do we sin? Why do we sin? I encourage you to take notes on some of this. I think you'll find it helpful. There's three reasons why we sin. Number one, it's natural. <laughs> Say that with me. It's natural. It's a natural tendency. It started with Adam and Eve. We want to do our own thing. In fact, here's how Romans 8 says it. Our sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. Yesterday, Cindy and I were in the airport flying home from a few days' vacation. And if you've seen these kind of stanchions that they have out in the airport to kind of make sure traffic, you don't get in certain areas, well, obviously, they're high enough for an adult to keep through, but for a four-year-old boy, it can go right underneath it very easily. So we're sitting at the gate waiting, and I see this four-year-old boy, looks around four years old, go underneath it. His dad's kind of looking around, watching around, and he goes under, and he's over by the wall, and there's a whole group of buttons on this wall. And all of a sudden, the dad sees it, and the dad says, son, come over here. Don't touch those buttons. What was the first thing the boy did? <laughs> 
I mean, watch it. And he looks at his dad, turns right around, looks at him, and starts punching everything that he could punch while the dad's trying to hurdle the stanchions, trying to get over there to put off whatever he's setting off in the airport. It's natural. It's kind of like wet paint don't touch. It's natural for us. In fact, if you're a parent, how many of you as parents have ever had to sit down, let's say your child is seven or eight, and you've had to sit down with them and say, son, daughter, I need to teach you some things because as you get older, you're going to need to do some things, and I want to teach you how. Today, I'm going to teach you how to lie. I want to teach that to you. How many of you have had to teach your child to lie, or did that come natural? I think that came natural. Or maybe your teenage son is getting in a couple of years into his teenage years, and you say, son, I need to sit with you and teach you how to lust. I think that's natural. In fact, the Bible says this in Jeremiah. It says, the human heart is deceitful above how many things? Think about that. Deceitful above all things. In other words, it says this. Pastor Key says all the time, never trust your heart. Never trust your heart. And yet, I talk to people all the time that that's how they're trusting. Yeah, I just feel really good about this. I, it, it just felt right to me. It felt, never trust your heart. Trust God's heart because we have the ability to lie to ourselves and then to others as well. Now, let's look at what God's word says. It's natural. Here's the second reason we sin. It's nurtured. Say that word with me. It's nurtured, which means it always starts small and then it grows. Sin always starts small. A small thought, a small glance, in fact, a lie, we say it's a small, we, we give it a color, a little white lie. It's just a little white lie. Everything starts, Satan never starts large. He always starts small. Now, one of the best illustrations of this that I find in the Bible is in the book of Joshua. Maybe you know it. It's a man named Achan. And in the story, the Israelites have come now to the promised land, and they're going to take over the promised land that God has for them. The first city, they circled it seven times. The walls came crashing down. The city was what? Jericho. Great. Now they're going to take a second city, a little city called Ai, not many people, and they only send a few hundred troops over there, and they get their butts handed to them. And they come back and go, God, what happened? And God said, somebody sinned against me. See, in Jericho, he made a real specific command. Nobody takes nothing. It's all mine. It's all mine. Well, by process of elimination, they find out that Achan has taken something. I want you to read the sentence of when he's confronted. I want you to read how he says it. It's exactly what happens for every one of us. Look at it. It says this. Among the plunder, I saw, say I saw, a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 silver coins, and a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. I wanted, say I wanted, them so much that I took, say I took, them. They are hidden, say hidden, in the ground beneath my tent with a silver buried deeper than the rest. Did you see how it happened? It's a progression. It's a progression all the time. I saw, I wanted, I took, I hid. I saw, I wanted, I took, I hid. I saw, I wanted, I took, I hid. How does an affair happen in a marriage? How does that happen? I saw, I wanted, I took, I hid. When you steal something from someone or steal time or whatever it is, 
I saw, I wanted, I took, I hid. Pornography, I saw, I wanted, I took, I hid. It's brand, it always starts small, and then it's nurtured. Unfortunately, kids learn it from adults too many times. That's why as parents or grandparents, it's so important that we teach our children and grandchildren God's word. This is what Ephesians 6 says, fathers and mothers, bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the sports team. Hmm. Seems that's what a lot of people think nowadays. Or in the instruction discipline of the activities. No, in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. See, it's not, my kids, I don't care if they know what I think is important. I want them to know what God's word is, says is important. So why do we see in it? It's natural, it's nurture, but here's the third one. It's culture. It's a part of our culture. We have moved, in our society, we have moved from a sin culture to a mistake culture. So instead of a sin that I repent from, it's a mistake I made and I mean, we all make mistakes, right? I mean, nobody's perfect. And so it's a mistake I made, and we all make mistakes, and I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for it. Friends, sin is not, oops, sorry. Sin is open rebellion against God. That's what sin is. In fact, what culture says is this. Culture says, you determine what is best for you. You're the person who knows best what's good for you. You determine whatever that is, choose it for you. Whatever that topic is, choose it for you, and then move the bullseye. So shoot the arrow here, and let's draw a bullseye around it. So we could take 100 topics. I'll pick one. Tithing, one of my greatest, funnest topics I like to talk about. Because of the fact that over here we say, but God knows my finances, he knows what my needs are, and I don't have the money right now, and because of that, or whatever, 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 here's what I'm decide, and now I justify it, and I put the bulls over here, but God still loves me, he understands, he understands my situation, and I move the bullseye to me, make sense? Or we do this, we see how close to the center we can get. Because basically, basically, they're a good person. Basically, they're a good person. I find this a lot when I talk to couples who are living together before they get married. The Bible's very clear, very clear about sex before marriage. Very clear. But yet, we understand, you know what? I, but, but God loves me, and, and I know this. God brought us together because I felt it in my heart. I felt it, and, and, and I wouldn't feel that way if that was the case. And God made sex. That's part of beauty. And we love God, and we serve. And, and we, ah! anything outside the center is sin, no matter how we justify it. But our culture does all the time. In fact, that's why Romans 12 says it this way. Don't let the world squeeze you in its mold. Try to dominate your life. Let God transform you instead. So sin, it's natural, it's nurtured, it's culture. But, and that's Pastor Key's favorite word, but we also have to go on and understand what are the consequences to sin. There are consequences, not just for you and I, but for us in a broader definition. Let me walk through a couple consequences of sin. First of all, 
Because of sin, there's now natural disasters and deformities. See, if you haven't noticed, nature doesn't always act in a natural way. Thomas Fish sent me a picture that I thought was very hilarious. You can see on the screen, it says, in England, they drive on the left. Where I live, we drive on what's left. <laughs> Anybody identify with that? People ask sometimes, man, I look at what's going on in the world. What? There's so many more hurricanes. There's so many more droughts. There's tornadoes. There's all this stuff. There's snow, and then there's more snow, and then there's more snow, and then there's more snow. Like, what's going on? I thought it was interesting. The Argus leader, uh, one month ago, headline, floods, droughts, worsen. They go on and talk about everything that's going on in nature. Well, it is. It's all around us. The Bible's very clear. Romans 8 says it this way. Creation was condemned to lose its purpose. The original purpose of creation was to be in perfect harmony with man and perfect harmony with God. But sin changed everything. It was to be a perfect place, but is not a perfect place now. Because of sin, there's also this, physical decay and death. Physical decay and death. Here's what 2 Corinthians says. Our physical body is becoming older and weaker. Any, any men for that one? It is. And I mean, you and I, you and I can prove that. It reminds me of the story of the elderly couple that they were getting ready for bed and she had stepped out of the shower and she's looking in the mirror and she goes, I can't believe everything is sagging. My face is sagging. Man, my arms are sagging. My butt's sagging. My breast's sagging. Everything is sagging. My word, is there anything good left of me? And her husband said, your eyesight's great. <laughs> Friends, we can Botox all we want. The reality is, our bodies are decaying. Every one of us has furniture disease. You know what that is when your chest falls down into your drawers? That's, that's furniture disease. In fact, here's, here's what 1 Corinthians 15 says. Our earthly bodies which die and decay are different from the bodies we're going to have in heaven. Well, they'll never die. Yay for that one? Can't wait for that one. Our bodies we have now embarrass us. Interesting how the Bible says that. For they become sick and die. But they'll be full of glory when we come back to life again in heaven. But here on earth, because of sin, there's death and decay. Here's another result of sin. There's emotional distress and disappointment. Man, you know what? I, I don't know if it's just me. I see it so much more than I've ever seen before. Mental health issues. Man, I see depression. I see anxiety. I see all the medications that are coming out to try to work with that. Man, it, it, does it occur to you that, man, nothing lasts anymore? Can't even get an appliance to last six, seven years. I mean, my word. But so much of our unreasonable thoughts on what we think and because that we're disappointed, so we put unreasonable expectations on what a spouse should fill our needs, and they can't. Or our children should, and they can't. Or a job should, and it doesn't. Or a boss, or whatever the case may be. And because of that, we get disappointed. Maybe it's our champion team that we think should win every year, or maybe the expectation's on us. And we're disappointed in us. Can we say this, friends? This is not heaven, and it never will be. Nothing here is perfect, only there. Here's another result of sin, relational distance and discord. Relational distance and discord. 
You know, when I grew up, I lived in an era where you could actually have something, it was called a debate. And they did this in political events. Any of you know what I'm talking about? Where two opponents on different sides would actually come and logically and socially debate the issue and talk. Oh, not now. We know that. Because if you're not for me, you're what? Against me. And we have nothing we do. In fact, I will make sure you pay for that. And we take any more means of social media or whatever the case may be. Because, uh-uh, we can't handle it. Here's the reality, friends. There is no perfect marriage. There's no perfect relationships. There are no perfect children. Anytime you have people together, there is going to be that conflict. But man, because of sin today, we just polarize everything. I, I love this phrase. It says this, I want what I want, and you want what you want. And we, when we attempt to express that to each other, sparks will fly. So that's why the Bible says always to grow together. In Christ, grow together. Because if you don't, you will grow apart. Sin thrives in isolation. Let me say it again. Sin thrives in isolation. When we see someone here at the church that they stop attending services, they stop serving, they stop being a part of a life group, we never say, oh, they must be doing great. No, no, no. We're going to jump in as quick as we can because something's wrong. Something is wrong. Isolation is never a good thing. Intimacy with God is a great thing. That's the only time where maybe you are alone with God. But otherwise, God has called us to live together. But because of sin, there's discord, and we think we can do it on our own. We don't need each other. In fact, if you go to the very beginning chapter of the Bible, very first book, says Adam and Eve were naked and were not ashamed. Yet when sin happened, what's the very first thing they did? They covered themselves up, and we do the same. Curious, they did it with fig leaves. What, what's yours and mine, fig leaf, that we use to cover up so that we don't have to get close to people? We can stay at a distance. And so maybe we just like to do this. We just scroll it, or we'll text them rather than actually calling them and talking, and let's get together. Is it we're afraid of what they're going to think about us? Is it afraid? What are we, what are we afraid of? All that is because of sin. It causes emotional and relational discord and distance. Here's the last reason, the result of sin. Because of sin, there's now spiritual discontent and darkness. I don't know if you've ever said this phrase. You see somebody, and you see them going down a dark path. You see them, what's happening, and you're concerned. And you ask this question. Can't they see what they're doing? Can't they see what's going on? Have you ever asked that question? The answer is, they can't. Because sin, one of the first things it does, it clouds your vision and your ability to see. One of the best examples I know is the guy by the name of Samson. In the book of Judges, I won't go through the whole story, but he was made to be a judge, a conqueror of Israel. He had the long hair. That's how he got his strength. And he got tricked because of his own sin, got his hair cut off. But then this verse happens in says in the Bible. I think, oh my word, it's so right. Look at it. It says, then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, 
and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. That's exactly how sin works. Sin has a progression. It blinds you, then it binds you, and then it will grind you. That's what sin does. It blinds you to the realities of what's really going on, and you'd say, no, I, I, I got it, I got it. I understand, I know what's best for me. Uh-uh. No, it'll blind you. Then it will bind you into that way of thinking, or if it potentially had addiction, ask anybody who's ever been in addiction, they'll tell you this is the progression. Blinds you, then it binds you, and then it will grind you. Am, am, am I right? That's exactly how it happens. See, sin leaves a hole in our heart that, that nothing can fill except God. And yet we try to fill it all the time. We try to fill it with success. We try to fill it with entertainment or relationships or popular, whatever the case may be, we try to fill it, and it can't. It's what the French philosopher Pascal said, a God-shaped hole, and nothing else can fill it. It's like taking a, a round hole and taking a square peg and trying to pound it in. You can pound it all you want. It will not fill it. St. Augustine said it best this way. Lord, thou hast made us for thyself, and we are restless until our hearts find their rest in thee. Sin, our sin, it's natural, it's nurtured, it's culture. The results are all around us. We see it all around us. What's our response? What should be our response to sin? Let me give you four thoughts. Number one, receive God's grace daily. Receive God's grace how often? This is a key one. Romans 5 says it this way. Through the sin of one man, that's Adam in the garden, death began to rule. But now how much greater is the result of what was done by the other man, that's Jesus, all who receive God's abundant grace and are freely put right with him will rule in life through Christ. Sin is a big deal to God. In fact, if I ask you, how many times is sin mentioned in the Bible? I'd be curious what your number would be. How many times is sin mentioned in the Bible? 1,792 times. Do you notice that's twice more than the word heaven is mentioned in the Bible? Sin is a big deal to God. Our sin is what caused Jesus' death. My sin caused Jesus' death. Being sorry doesn't release God's grace. Confession does. When I go before God and I say, God, I have willingly chosen here. I know what this is, but I've willingly chosen here. I've willingly, or maybe, God, I didn't mean to, but I ended up here. God, I confess that to you. I confess that to you. See, oftentimes we're sorry, but we're sorry for the wrong reasons. We're sorry because we got caught. We're sorry for the results or the things I'm going to have to do because I got caught, or I'm sorry for some of the people that I hurt along the way. Question, when's the last time that you and I wept? We cried because our sin took Jesus to the cross. I asked you to open up to James 4. Would you look at verse 8? 
James 4, verse 8. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. Listen to it. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Just take a break. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. Won't have it. If it's not me, boom, go. But I won't share it. It says this. For your loyalty is divided among God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. As we come to this Easter week, on a Thursday, when we recognize that he went to the cross for us and prepared himself with this last time with the disciples and on Good Friday when he died on the cross, Will I take time this week to say, God, I repent. My sin took you there. I'm not just sorry. I confess I repent of that. 1 John 1, 9 says, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. That's a good news. He will, he will take our sins away. But it isn't once a lifetime confession. It's not once a year. It's not once a month. It's daily. Because how many of you are prone to sin each day? I am. Because I'm selfish to the core. I was born that way, natural. And so maybe it's before you go to bed at night and you say, God, is there anything I did today, said today, thought today that wasn't the center that I used for my own will instead of somebody else's, that I did to accomplish something for me instead of, God, is there, would you show that to me? And then confess that each day. But here's the second one then. Remember that this place is temporary. This place is what? Man, we get caught up in this world and all the things of this world. This is not our home. I, I love this verse in Psalm 103. I encourage you, take this one down and maybe you put this somewhere on your cell phone just to remind you. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower in the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. Everything has a season, but then the season's over. Friends, everything in this world is seasonal and will be gone. The house you live in will be gone. The body you live in now will be gone. Someday my marriage to Cindy will be gone when one of us dies. Everything that is, I think, is mine one day, everything that's mine one day will go into one of three Gs. Goodwill, garbage, or garage sale. <laughs> it is. Everything is temporary and will be gone. Everything. And that's why the Bible says over and over, don't live for this world. Don't live it. It is temporary. There's only two things that are going to last forever. Only two things will ever last forever. God's word, people. And they'll live, people, in one of two places forever. Here's how Hebrews 13 says it. The world is not our home. Amen? We're looking forward to our everlasting home in heaven. 
So we receive God's grace. Remember that this place is temporary. But here's the third then. Reject man-made solutions. Reject man-made solutions because we all have needs. <laughs> we have emotional needs. We have psychological needs. We have sexual needs. We have physically, whatever the need is, we all have needs. And a lot of those needs are unmet and will never be met by a physical solution because it's a spiritual problem. In fact, would you repeat this after me? You can't solve a spiritual problem with a physical solution. Only a spiritual solution can fill that. Jesus talked about that with the woman at the well. If you remember the conversation, here's what he said. Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Friends, 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 friends. There is not enough money, possessions, sex, accomplishments, or anything that will fill the hole that you have that's a God-shaped hole. It will never fill it, ever. That only comes from your creator. In fact, Jeremiah 2 says this, and this is God talking. My people have done two evil things. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they've dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. Did any of you grow up in an era where they had cisterns? You bet you dug a hole. The hole didn't have water in it. You dug the hole, and then you put water in it. But it says that the cisterns that we have are cracked. It can never hold it, but God can. And so we receive God's grace daily, daily, saying, God, is there anything outside the center circle? Is there anything daily? At that point, then, we remember this place is temporary, I reject man-made solutions. Here's the fourth one. Reach out with God's love. See, once you've received God's grace and you've received forgiveness, don't hold it to yourself. You give it. You be a conduit to others as well. In Luke 14, Jesus tells a story. It's a parable of a great feast that comes, a great banquet. And he tells his servants, go out and invite people in. Oh, great. Now let me ask you, today, who's God's servants? We are. So let's put this for us today. He said they went, but when they came back, they said, ah, people can't, they were working, just didn't work out. And the the, uh, master said this, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you've ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out into the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. An empty chair is a big deal to God. Found people, find people. If you have found salvation through Jesus Christ, then you help other people find it and help them know the center point that can be their life. Here's how Philippians 2 says it. Go out into the world uncorrupted, like a breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and of the living God. Carry the life-giving message into the night. I'm going to ask the band to come out. And we started asking the question, how did this world get so messed up? Sin. Our sin. My sin. Your sin. Sure, it's natural. It's nurtured. It's culture. We understand that. We see the results. But there's a solution. It's Jesus. You receive his grace daily. Remember, this place is temporary. Remember, this is not our home. Reject man-made solutions and then give it away.
me finish with a story. Something happened in my life a number of years ago that I still carry with me every day. Someone I know very well and very dear to me gave me a call one night, about 10 o'clock at night, and said, my father-in-law, that person's father-in-law is very sick, and the doctors have said that there's probably not going to be more than maybe three, four weeks left till the father-in-law is gone. And she said, my father-in-law does not know Jesus. Now, I knew the father-in-law a little bit, and from what I could tell, there was no relationship with Jesus at all. And she said, would you come with me to the hospital and talk to him about Jesus? I said, absolutely, of course I will. I said, when do you want me to come? She said, well, let me talk to the doctors in the morning. I'll give you a call back, and we'll set up a time. I said, okay, great. The phone rang about an hour and a half later, 11.30 at night, and she said, um, we just got a call, and he's taking a really turn for the worse. Can you meet me at the hospital within the next half hour? She lived just a little ways out of town. I said, absolutely, I'll be there. Met her at Avera, walked up to the floor where he was on, and there's only a couple of nurses at the station, and walked to his door. The door was closed. The nurse came over and said, can we help you? And said, well, this is this man's daughter-in-law, and I'm her brother. We wonder if we could talk to him. And she said, just so sorry. Uh, he passed away 15 minutes ago. She said, the body's still there. If you want, you can have some moments before we have to take the body away. So we walked in the room and, what do you say? A few minutes, she came and said, uh, we need to take the body down. And as we were leaving, she said, we have his things. Could we send them with you? And they literally gave us a grocery bag his clothes, his pants, his belt, his shirt, his watch, his wallet. We walked out. And as we're walking out, two things just hit me. Number one was the first we read earlier, Psalm 103. As for man, we are like grass. It withers away and it says, and its place remembers it no more and I thought, you know what? Within 12 hours, they're going to clean the room, and a new patient will be in that room, and they won't even remember who was in that room. His house will be sold. In a couple of years, they'll repaint it, and they'll say, Who used to live in that house? Everything that he has will be gone. And then I also realized I'm holding his clothes. Right now, he is standing before God, naked, confessing Jesus is Lord. Except it's too late. It's too late. The Bible says that every one of us will confess that Jesus is the Lord, either here or in front of him. But in front of him, it's too late. And I went, I'm 15 minutes too late. 
nothing I can do about it. 15 minutes too late. Man, friends, can I implore you? Can I encourage you? Don't assume you have another 15 minutes. Don't assume it. Maybe for you, you've been a spot where you've gone to church, you've, quote, believed in God, but you've lived out here. You have never lived there. You've never confessed your sins. You've never given your life to Jesus. Can I tell you, do it now, do it now, do it now. But I can also say that maybe for some of you, you've given your life to Jesus, but you know there's an area of your life that you're living out here and you're justifying it. You're justifying it. Confess it. Confess it. Get right with God. Do that. But the other thing, friends, is there's people you know right now that don't know Jesus. Don't be 15 minutes late. Don't be 15 minutes late with them. Talk to them. Give them a call. Bring them next Sunday with you. Bring them. Sin is a big deal. That's why Jesus went to the cross. My sin, your sin, our sin. But there's an answer, Jesus Christ. When you receive his grace, he will cleanse you from your sin. And now we can be a conduit of his love. Father God, I understand what my sin did. I understand it. God, forgive me. Maybe there's someone here right now this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You've lived it your own way. Let this morning be the morning. Just say, Jesus, I confess my sins to you. I accept you as my Savior. Take over my life. Just say that in your heart to him. Maybe there's an area for some of you who've accepted Jesus Christ that you now know that there's an area you've been justifying. Confess that to God. But God, we're overwhelmed the fact that you would die for us as we come into Easter week. God, let that thought overwhelm us. God, we don't want to be 15 minutes late with other people. Please, God, put those people around us and we will talk. We love you. We adore you. We respond in worship. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. You know, you can click the share button, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless.